Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Happy Tuesday. Today is August 2nd, 2016. I'm Michelle Pichet, filling in for Jeannie, and I'm here today with Dr. Michael Rice. We warmly welcome you to the show and thank you for choosing to be with us. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1 and it puts you in the queue to talk with our host. We encourage you to call in with your comments or questions, allowing you to actively strengthen and deepen your practice. So now, hi, Michael. Let's welcome you and support developing our process of forgiveness. All right. Thank you, young lady. Delighted that you're here. Thanks for jumping in for Jeannie. Ari has been a little under the weather. He's actually uh, probably in St. Louis by now. He was uh, going to be heading down here Saturday, but uh, ran into a couple of little health challenges and had an appointment or two to take care of. So he's on the road. So Jeannie's down doing the kitchen. So thank you for filling in so that she can be making these awesome dehydrated portobello mushrooms and uh, and everything else that's going to happen for dinner tonight. We actually opened the Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop tonight at 7. So anybody that's in the area, it's always a free open workshop. You're welcome to come and join us uh, right here at Heartland in Theodosia, Missouri. So if you're anywhere in the territory and want to come play with us tonight, 7 o'clock. And uh, we'll continue it tomorrow night at 7 o'clock as we move forward with this uh, this understanding of first century Aramaic forgiveness and uh and how to really truly engage in it. The, uh, the basic bottom line of this work is that each of us started out in exactly the same stead. Each of us started out as a sweet, awesome presence of love. No words to describe what that presence is. Uh, there, there aren't words big enough. But if you just hold a newborn child, you'll know what I'm talking about. And that's the starting point for all of us. And, of course, we come in and the world puts its thumbprints on us. And if we get lost in those thumbprints, then something other than the active presence of love runs us. And the whole bottom line of this work, you know, just one other way to say it, is that the purpose of the work is to come back into full relationship with love. Total, complete, on a cellular level that we are plugged in as we are designed to, as the newborn is. If you've ever held a newborn and you were to describe the essence of the newborn, your word would probably be some variation on the theme of love. And if I asked you, well, then, if the newborn is love, is the newborn loving you or is the newborn love? Everybody's response is, well, uh, of course, the newborn is love. 
So love must be a noun. If love is a noun, how come we're trying to love each other? Sounds like a mistake. I had someone last year in a class that said, well, you know, what if it was a noun and it was a verb too? That's what I'd like. It's like, well, you might like that, but you're not going to change the way it is. It's kind of like gravity. You might not like that your feet go down if you step off a cliff, but you don't have any choice about it. We are the presence of love, and if we've had thumbprints based in hostility or fear put on us, activated out of our genes that have come into control and possession of our love, then the whole goal of the work is to remove the blocks to the experience of ourselves as the presence of love and to come back into that full relationship. Last night in the uh, class, we we got talking about uh, a little bit about the topic of atheism came up. And I, I, I don't believe that any intellectually honest person can possibly be an atheist. And this person said, well, uh, what do you mean? Well, let's, let's have a little story. I was out in the backyard. I dug a deep hole 5,000 feet down. And at the 5,000-foot mark, I found this round piece of chalk that was about four inches long. And on the side of it, it had the words Acme Chalk Company. And, you know, it just happened out of the slime and ooze of the earth, some dust particles from space and some sunshine together came together and made this four-inch piece of chalk with the words Acme Chalk Company on the side of it. Now, anybody who's intellectually honest will argue you blue in the face that that can't happen. That is an absolute, total, complete impossibility that that would just happen out of the slime. Well, if you can't fathom, being intellectually honest, if you can't fathom a piece of chalk with those words on it just happening, why? Well, that's so complex and so exact and so specific. Oh, okay. So how about a rose? a butterfly, an elephant, a crocodile, your newborn child. Can it just happen? I mean, infinitely, infinitely, infinitely more complex and certainly didn't just happen as the ooze out of the slime. So, but I do certainly understand why people have rejected the theological monstrosity that men in their rage and their guilt and their fear have made up and projected their rage and guilt and fear into a creator that is out to get us. And if you don't do just the right thing, then, you know, oh, all kinds of horrible things are going to happen to you. I certainly understand the rejection of that theological monstrosity, which absolutely does not exist. But is there something that's way beyond our comprehension that knows how to design a rose or a crocodile or your newborn? Absolutely. Can we fathom? Can we think of it? Can we speak of it? Well, you know, it's like trying to put an 8-inch 2 by 4 in the space between your ears. It just won't go. It's too big. It's way too far beyond what we can even conceive of. And so if we will allow ourselves to recognize that that something between the nothing that was and the what is today is there, then we can attune to that and we can literally receive guidance 
from a larger perspective than what our minds give us on just how the universe works. There's an interesting uh, movie that's out in some of the art theaters currently. saw it a couple of weeks ago. I did talk about it briefly, The Man Who Touched Infinity. And it's a true story back in the 1800s of a young man who was born and raised in India and had no education, backwoods, uh, Indian uh, subcontinent. And he, in his commitment to share what he has created, he sends his theorems on math to Oxford University, to a professor there. And the professor is blown away. Nobody uneducated could possibly come up with this. And certainly, if he did, there's no way that it's valid. And many of the other professors agree, but this one man says, this is on track. And so he arranges to have him come to England, to Oxford University, where when he does things that the highest level professors can't even start to do, and he does them in minutes, things that these professors have been working on for years, they're like, well, well that, that well, well that can't be you you just can't do that. It's like, well, he did. And in fact, today the math that he invented in the 1800s as a backwoods subcontinent India India is the math they're using to understand black holes. There's something in the universe that if we choose to be attuned to it, it can teach us in the human system, that something in Aramaic was called Ruka Dukudja. It is, by definition, a feminine elemental force that, when invited, undoes the effects of our errors and teaches us the truth. That elemental force exists in each of us. If you look back to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, his purpose was to connect us to that so that we had access beyond our intellects and beyond our cultural norms and beliefs. The course that we're going to be doing toward the end of the month, I think it starts on the 29th here at Hartley, the 16-day residential intensive, is called Laws of Living. And in the Aramaic language, the word law has nothing to do with an authority that's telling you what you should be doing. There's nothing to obey. Just like with the law of gravity, there's nothing to obey. If you step off the cliff at the bottom of the cliff, bones break. That's just the way it works. And so the laws of living class is about getting back to full relationship with that presence of love in your world. And it is through the eternal forces and relationship with those eternal forces that we enter full-blown relationship with love. That our physiology is literally flooded with that energy continuously and anything that we need to know will become available to us when we're living in a state of harmony and unification with that presence that is called love, that is called creator, that is called God, been given many different names. And if we 
hold the thumbprints of hostility or fear in any of its forms, then hostility and fear will interfere with the perceptual system that would guide us directly through these eternal forces. So law in Aramaic, as opposed to the rule of, an, of a superior, is simply the, the way that the eternal forces operate and being in harmony with those forces. So we're going to start a 16-day residential intensive coming up on the 29th of the month. If anybody's ready to take their work to the next level, then that's a space to just open that process. And I've, been, I've had a couple of texts in the last day or two from Susan, and I don't know if Susan might be on there. But if she is, she might put up her hand and say a few words because one of the texts she sent me was that she knew when she first saw this work that it was exactly what from the age of nine she needed to know and have relationship with. And she's just getting ready. I think, I think she's starting on Thursday, uh, her fifth Laws of Living class in Wilmington, North Carolina. So if anybody's in the Wilmington area, contact us. We'll put you in touch with Susan. And if you're ready to do Laws of Living, she's going to do it over an eight-week, one night a week for eight weeks. And uh, if Susan happens to be out there, I think her area code is 901. Is she out there by any chance, Michelle, with her hand up? Uh, she is listening, but I don't think she has her hand up right now. Um, okay. Cool. Well, oftentimes she's she's working and she's listening at the same time, so sometimes it doesn't work for her to be able to talk. I just thought if she happened to be, it would be cool to hear from her directly. We've had a, a few uh, texts back and forth in the last couple of days about well, the she, excitement. Well, she apparently changed her mind. Hi, Susan. How are you? Hey, Michelle. How are you? Good, good. Good. Hey there, young lady. How are you? It, it's great. I'm I love your intro. Your intro is just perfect. And you went into Laws of Living. I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> great. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, and I'm so excited. You know, a few people have taken their evaluation, and it looks like the theme of the class is going to be love of self um, and ah. fear, freedom from fear, and maybe use of will. So, um those are the things that are showing up as, um, you know, the one, two, three assignments. So it, I'm, I'm interested and excited. I think I have another lady that may sign up tonight. That would make, I think it's seven. Awesome. I'm excited. Well, it is so exciting. Well, to me, one of the things that, that speaks so loudly of the impact that you're having in the community is the fact that for the second time you've gotten someone to – come up with scholarship money to support someone who doesn't have the money to do the class. And, you know, when that kind of word gets around the community, that's, that's an impact lady. You're just, I mean, it's awesome. It is. It is beautiful, Michael. It is absolutely, you know, I, I tell you, I've heard you say it before. The exact right people show up at the right moment to make the synergistic energy of what we need at that, that time to heal all of us. And I always get so excited to see who's going to sign up and take one of those spots in the class. It's just, um, it's always like it's a fun ride, let's just say that. You know, whatever comes up is going to heal. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking in the church, I'd like to put uh, the Mind Shifter group um, creating the community of love. That's what I like to have in the bulletin. Come join us mm-hmm. in creating the community of love. Because that's what I want to... Um, want to create here in Wilmington is a 
a community where we can come together in our insanity and uh, hold a space of love so that we can wake up to love. And uh, on the board this morning before I left the house, I have a a huge whiteboard in my um, living room. And I was writing, willingness is the cosmic grease. And then I was trying to remember Dr. Kim's definition of willingness. Could you, do you remember that? Would you be willing to say? Well, we could probably hear it right straight from the doctor's mouth if uh, Dr. Uh, Tim is with us. Dr. Tim is on. Okay. Well, you have me baffled here. Do you think my definition of willingness is different than cosmic grease? Well, I like it, but you should come to I think it's to I put on the board this morning, come totally empty, head or handed. I think Michael says headed. And of course, in miracles, I think says something. But it's to completely put aside everything you think you know and be willing and open a space in your mind to um, see it maybe from a different perspective or to allow oh, oh, Rupa to come oh, Okay, so, so you're talking about when I talk about in order for me to learn anything new, I have to come into a situation and understand that what I currently think I know is either only partially true or completely false. That's and if it. I if I can't adopt that position, then it's not possible for me to learn anything new. That's it. That's 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 the you know I, that's what I want to express in the very beginning of our class. I want that to be the the only thing that really needs to show up is that willingness and that openness to to um, realize that we may not know what we think we know. I think it was Emerson that gave another perspective on uh, on exactly what Tim just said, what you're referring to there. And what he said, I believe it was Emerson, he said, we have to get our bloated nothingness out of the way. You know, the mind that thinks yeah. it knows has to, has to go. But that's what Emerson referred to as the bloated nothingness. <laughs> Beautiful. And I had that come to mind in the last few days. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate you uh, restating that because I, I want to make sure I listen to this again. And, you know, it's just um, every class, you know, it, it's, it's an opportunity to clear out what doesn't belong more than anything. And, uh, you know, I was thinking this morning, the, the work and the, the paperwork and the reading that we do and the learning that we have, that's the form that holds the energy and the space of love for us to move out the next layer of what's coming up. And it's just... You know, it's almost like I know it's mine, and I know all these wonderful souls are coming in to play with me, you know, <laughs> to play with me for the next eight weeks, and um, and I'm really excited about it. It's it's absolutely um, phenomenal. It's it's just beautiful. So, and it's my passion. I do it for absolutely, you know, I do it for free. I, I know it's my passion. I was saying, it's who is it that says it? I can't not do it. Whatever, whoever said that. <laughs> there you go. Anyway. Well, can yes. I share Can I share a text that you sent to me yesterday? Absolutely. Okay. So so what you said in your text is, and, and, and I, I share this to give people a little bit of insight into some of the things that need to be processed. And so you said, I couldn't jump through the door quickly enough. I've been looking for this teaching all my life. I was nine years old when I told Yeshua I wanted to be his disciple, even if I was a girl. 
And I texted back to you and said, what is this, even if I was a girl stuff all about? And you wrote back and said, back then, Dad said, I couldn't speak in church. Only my husband could. And, you know, that's the kind of thumbprint. They're the kind of blocks. Sadly enough, you know, if you look at the statistics, uh, women are smarter than men across the board. And a lot of men are insecure. And so they made up this whole thing about how women have to stay in the kitchen and be pregnant and barefoot and all that stuff. And that's man's insecurity. There's nothing true about that in the church. That's, that's Paul's issue. That's, that's just a total, complete fraud. But I've seen so many women who moved away from their guidance and their relationship with source because that thumbprint was put on them. And so that's the kind of thing that needs to be forgiven in order to come back into full relationship with that source and have the awesome, powerful impact that you're having in that community. I mean, it's monumental. Thank you. Are you breathing? Thank you. And I, uh, that's interesting. I don't think I was. It, it was. it was. It was exactly. I mean, as a as a child, I definitely held my breath when I would hear that. It's like how absurd, you know, that it was, and I could not believe it. And I would I would go to Jesus, uh, and I would say that that's insane. That's not true. And the me and the minister, I remember him so so well. He Buddy Vaughn. He's deceased now and he would we would go around and around and around talking about what actually was said and and how some things I just couldn't wrap my head around that that was true about what they would say about the bible and it was just it was just like I was questioning and the one thing my mother said to me and I love her dearly because she opened a space in my mind to question we were walking home from church because the church was at the top of the hill where we lived and she said to me she said now she said, the church, they think they're the only ones going to heaven. That's what she said. But she said, they just have misunderstood the scriptures. She said, I have been to many different denominational churches, and we're all going to heaven. So you need to know that they're going to say that, but that's not true. And when she opened that little bit of space for me to question, it was such a gift because I thought, well, if that's not True, and they think it is. Maybe there are other things that are not true, and so I can have a personal relationship. And they used to say that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so I would go and talk to him on my own and say, Explain to me, help me understand. So at nine years old, I'd made a decision. I said, You know, if you come back, I will be your disciple. You just let me know you're here, even if I'm a woman. That's what I would say. Even if they kill me, I'll still be there. So um, anyway, it was it was interesting. My love was there. Well, you know, it's, if you look at we we watched the special last night on the uh, uh, the painting of the Last Supper, where the disciple beside Yeshua looks more like a woman than a man, and uh, how the basically painted out the women. And I look at, you know, again, the impact you're having on that community. Jeannie used to teach in the Baptist church, and she taught kids. And in her class, there was a man who was mentally handicapped. He had a, a, a mental level of, I forget now, maybe 12 or 13 years of age, but he was in his 30s. 
and he started to come to the class. And the church elders forced her to stop teaching because a woman couldn't teach a man. And, you know, when I first met her, it's like, well, but I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And they're the kind of thumbprints. I look at the impact you're having. I look at the impact she's having, especially on women with their Healing the Whole Woman uh, workshops and the people that we've gotten feedback from, the changes that are happening in their lives. And that whole conversation is just plain insecurity on the part of men and silly to still be having. Now, it's going to go on in a lot of circles, and there'll be a lot of fear. You, you can know there's no truth there if fear is used to reinforce it, because the creator's truth always contains love. So if there's fear there to reinforce it, to try to make people believe it and buy into it and all that, you know it's a fraud, and you know it's a lie. That's all. It's silly. The whole conversation is silly. And so I just really support you a 1,000% and really um, hold the space for you to uh, – to have an awesome class this time around, and it's fabulous again to see what you're doing in the in the world. Well, I'm excited. I'm really, really, really excited. I mean, I was, uh, you know, we've had so many people come into the meetup group through Mind Shifters, and I mean, uh, one lady has come in just in the last month, and um, in the last six months, I'd say most of my class, except for a couple have came in and said, um, I want to be part of this. And when the Laws of Living was mentioned, they'd say, put me on the list, put me on the list. And I was like, wow, I'm so excited. That's fantastic. So that's just the way it's unfolding, and I'm looking forward to it. So thank you for your support. I can feel it. Mm -hmm. Well, ultimately our vision is to have people in every community in the country teaching the Laws of Living on a local level like you are. It's absolutely fabulous. And you know, it, uh, it's a way to create an income stream, and basically people have to go through Laws of Living twice to begin to teach it. And uh, so if anybody's, you know, a lot of people talk about how, oh, I want to do this work, I want to do this work in Laws of Living, because there's a text material and all that you can systematically go through is one of the easiest ways to make the shift into teaching and gathering groups of people to take the work and bring it into their lives. And, you know, there's, there's one success story that, uh, that you shared with me. I believe it was from your last class, Susan, that maybe you'd share the gentleman who, uh, who brought his Coke and sat over uh, at, the, at the edge of the door, like ready to bolt at any moment, and his conversation, if that's appropriate. Yes, he was my second class. Um, he sat over at the corner of the door, crossed his arms, and as we went around the room to introduce ourselves and state what our intention was for the class, he shared with us that he didn't like anybody, male or female. <laughs> and, I mean, you could hear the room go, <gasps> I mean, we were all, like, looking at him. And at the end of the class, the man was completely transformed. I mean, com- it was amazing. I had tried, you know, I usually hug people when they're leaving. And, and I know one one particular evening he was like, no, 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 no. You know, and I was like, as, when he left, I was doing worksheets on how I had totally messed up as a teacher. And uh, anyway, <laughs> the, the last class, yeah, so it was interesting. The last class, he, I said, now, don't worry. I'm not going to hug you. I'll just shake your hand. And he said, no, I want to hug. And the whole class got in line to hug this gentleman. And um, every once in a while, he will text me that I'm his angel. 
and um, that I saved him. He is living a totally different life today. And he actually, when I texted him that this class was taking place and if he was anywhere close to come, he texted me back that um, he thought that we would make a great team teaching this work. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, that's, now there's a shift. So, And, you know, I want you to know that he really got that newborn love essence that we are. That's the one thing that he would tell people, I'm holding a space of love for you. I'm holding a space of love for you. And um, he really he really got it. Um, and I think that was the shift uh, that really helped him more than any other tool that we had. Um, that was the one that he well, did. Well, um, perhaps share the text what was it, maybe the third or fourth week of the class, he had someone, he came in and showed you a text that he'd sent them. This person I couldn't didn't believe like anybody. <laughs> yeah, this person that didn't like anybody had this uh, person that had texted him um, something they were kind of in disagreement about. And he said to this person, I think it was a female, but I don't know, he said, I'm holding a space of love for you. And her text back was, what does that mean? And he said, well, Hold a newborn baby. What you feel when you hold a newborn baby, that's what I'm holding that you are. Wow. And and when he showed me that, I was like, I'm going to go out of my seat. I was like, what a shift. I mean, I almost got up and did a high five in the, in the class. This is, this work is just, I mean, the, the laws of living, sitting in the class, being in the energy of it, making the commitment to do the work, uh, transforms. Lives and and this man had no relationship with his family. He shared with the person in the class that he had come to Wilmington to die. Um, I, I learned later that there were health issues involved, and that um, when he the last night of class he shared with us, I have taken a job in the town where my daughter lives. Um, oh. She's just had a, a, my grandchild and I'm going to have a relationship with her, and my my parents live within an hour away. They're in their 70s. I'm going to help look after them. Wow. That's a miracle. I'm telling you, even, even during the class, he walked her down the aisle, and he rode in the car with his ex, whom he hadn't spoken to in years. They were in the same car. And I saw the pictures on Facebook. I mean, it was quite amazing the shift that the class had in his life was just, I mean, the people that were in that class, they've taken it several times because they say he was a miracle. I mean, he was, he made us all believers. It was like, wow. Um, and he was the one that well, was in your workshop. Well, I'm sitting here in tears. Uh-huh. He was the one in the workshop that was shaking his leg like somebody was riding a horse. <laughs> he was amazing. 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 The work is, okay. is uh, creates miracles in people's lives, and so that's what we're. And this time, I think we have the opportunity. The same opportunity is there, I'm sure, for it to unfold. And I'm excited and ready and willing. So thank you for holding a space of love for all of the community. It is beautiful. So I'm going to quit with that. Say thank you and Powerful. put myself on mute right. and listen. Much hey, love to you, you all. Thank you. Have a blessed day. All right. Thanks. Take care. Yes, ma'am. Oh, uh, I wanted to uh, share with you my little laws of living story. That's okay, Michael. Go for it. 
So I had a um, client today, and I was explaining the aspects of uh, our filters and that if you are looking through a, a filter of fear, you're going to see things as threatening, and if you perceive that and take action, you'll have a negative is there a voice in the background on your phone, Michelle, that you can mute or oh, turn yeah, down? Yeah, you know what? Probably, probably not. You know what? Um, I'll save it for another time because I'm somewhere. Um, because we actually have a caller on the line. Maybe um, that would be more helpful. Okay. All right. Well, I'll just, um, you know, by way of explanation, why why do these kind of shifts happen? Well, first of all. Many, many people have never even heard such ideas as such a thing as holding a space of love. But then, even if one hears it, if the person they're in front of resonates all the rage they have in the world, there's no way to hold that space of love. You know, a former spouse you haven't spoken to in years. If, if there's rage, it's just their presence that's, that's going to bring that up. But then when you put in someone's hands the tools for healing grievances, the tools for communication, the tool of forgiveness, which is removal, then you welcome the presence of rage if it's in you. You use the tool and you clean it out of you. Forgiveness is the removal of that. And once it's removed, then then you've got someone who's actually at choice in situations where yesterday because of the way the mind works, resonance and the hostilities and fears of the world, what was impossible all of a sudden just becomes natural and normal. It's no big deal. It's just a matter of using the tools. So fabulous. Nice work. All right. Well, let's say a quick hello to Dr. Tim and see how the young man is, and then we'll check with our caller, see if there's anything exciting to share, Tim. Well, I'm here. Um, I enjoyed the show yesterday, and it's great to hear Susan. And um, I'm up for hearing what the callers have to say. Okay, let's go for it. I knew you, you're like that. I know. <laughs> Michelle, you want to introduce our caller? Yeah, we have area code eight two eight. You're on the air, and who do we have calling? Eight two eight. You're on the air. Give us a name. Where are you calling from? I think 828's attention perhaps has turned away from the phone for a moment. I know that uh, Terry was talking about calling in yesterday, so I suspect it might be Terry. And if it well, is, um, I suspect that probably waiting his attention was turned away. And I am um, actually put uh, Rex on the phone because he was waiting as well, so we'll we'll go back okay. to that. In Hi, yeah. Rex. Maybe keep today. checking on 828 and see if you can uh, catch their attention. Hey, young man, how are you? Hi, Michael. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Tim. How's everybody doing? We're rocking. Doing well here as well as also. Uh, I was calling specifically. I have not been, Paul and I have been diligent working on our program, and um, we uh, wondered if you might do us a favor, if it's appropriate. We haven't heard any of the program prior to the last two minutes. So I just heard you say, hey, Tim, what's happening? And check with him. But he said, let's call our callers. Let's talk to our callers. That's all I've heard. So I don't know the context of what you've been talking about. I did hear um, most of the program yesterday. So it was a great program. 
listened in on that. But I wondered if you might do a review of regulatory speech. Would you sure. consider that if it's ideal yeah, with that, what's happening in the program? That would fit absolutely perfectly. The, uh, we were talking to Susan about her teaching in, uh, in um, Wilmington, North Carolina. She's getting ready to do her, I think, her fifth or sixth Laws of Living class there, and she was sharing some of the uh, miracles that have been happening. And in particular, one gentleman who, when he came to the class the first uh, week of the class, he sat with his arms folded in his uh, Coca-Cola, uh, sugar, caffeine, drugs, and sat close to the door and announced to everyone that he didn't like anyone in the world. And uh, by the fourth week, he was texting people he had conflicts with that he was holding a space of love for them. And, wow. and the whole key there is about speech. And the speech units that we are structured with through our genetics, you know, it's interesting, they've done some microphotography studies with newborns and what they found is if you say a particular word the newborn's body will go into a particular micro motion every time that word is spoken and a different motion for every word which leads to the conclusion that language is structured within the muscles within the cells and of course what the, the laws of living offers is a thing called regulatory speech and that is the speech that literally runs the whole system if we go back to Yeshua 2000 years ago he says the power of life and death is in our words and it's so exacting when you recognize that words represent and or introduce frequencies into the structure and frequencies that are destructive in nature that don't belong in the system that are off the mark are stored in cells and create distortions in the cellular structure by the very introduction of frequencies through words and so what regulatory speech i mean it's a broad topic as you know we spend days in laws of living talking about regulatory speech but in essence whenever i speak a word I think a thought and when I think a thought I produce a literal molecule a neuropeptide that and, and it's interesting you see the, the so called non-physical in that instant becoming physical so we now have this or, or at least what we call physical moving into the realm of physiology and so we see mind energy if you go to the opening words in the book of John where we're told it says in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. That's not correct. In Aramaic it says in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. And so our words represent mind energy. Mind energy represents neuropeptides that when they're formed in the structure circulate around in the structure and when they find a cell with a receptor site, then that neuropeptide lands on the cell. Now the Cell biologists are saying that the cell then replicates the neuropeptide. I, I think that's slightly inaccurate. I think what actually happens is that we have this broad range of frequencies in the neuropeptide, and when it lands on the antenna of the cell, the energy, much like a TV signal, inserts itself. My background's electronics, so I'm always thinking electronics the TV signal inserts itself and expresses through the television set. And 
takes over and organizes the light energy and the motion of light within the television to produce a picture that represents what is carried as a frequency into the set by the antenna. So literally when we think a thought, that neuropeptide is a frequency pattern that inserts itself in the cell. And what the cell biologists say is that it shows up as chemistry. And so with our limited sensory apparatus, we say, ah, this is chemistry. It isn't chemistry at all because there's no such thing as chemistry because there's no such thing as physical. There's only energy. And so that speech literally inserts itself in the cell and changes the structure of the cell. If the change that happens comes from a disintegrative energy or an energy that's off the mark in the ancient Aramaic sin, then the cell begins to deteriorate, become dysfunctional, and ultimately die, which is why in the ancient Aramaic they said the wages of sin is death, that we kill ourselves when we engage in frequencies that don't belong in the cell because we literally shift the so-called chemistry of the cell. What forgiveness does is removes that chemistry from the cell, that mind energy, that neuropeptide, removes it and dissolves it, transmutes the energy. So speech regulates physiology. Along with that, we have a warning signal that tells us when our mind energy is off base, and it's called feelings. So when I engage in a piece of mind energy, I will feel the effect of that or I will feel the emotional impact of that. And if I'm sensitive enough, I will feel it in my cellular structure. I will actually experience the impact on a cellular level. Many people keep themselves so anesthetized that they never actually feel the impact in their physiology, they only experience the emotional impact of it, the hostility, the rage, what have you, the guilt, the fear, the sadness. So speech regulates feelings and sensations in the body, as well as the emotional responses that we have. That speech, those words, literally become the frequencies that contribute to and and are converted to pictures in our minds and create the world we see. I don't know, uh, Rex and uh, Paul, if you guys have watched the the new video that's on our YouTube channel. It's uh, titled ACIM-What is the World? What is Forgiveness? But that might assist and support you in uh, in the piece that you're doing at this point. And you can get to it if you go, or anybody that wants to look at it, if you go to www.whyagain.org. Over on the right-hand side, there are all of the um, social media links. And the bottom one is a link to YouTube. If you click on that, it will take you to our YouTube channel. Just look down the list for ACIM. The picture is a picture of the world, uh, you know, like the blue planet from space. ACIM, what is the world? What is forgiveness? And that will tie in there. So, so literally, our minds, out of the frequencies moving according to our words, like if I say, you made me, I just regulated the picture world that I'm going to see. I'm going to see a picture of you making me something that I've been doing to myself probably long, long, long before I ever met you. But my words direct literally my perception and my words 
are the also my regulatory speech regulates my behavior because my perception is what guides my behavior. So words, pretty powerful stuff, have a lot of impact in a lot of directions. But that would be the the elevator speech I would give on uh, regulatory speech. Is that uh, fitting for what you were looking for, Rex? It's very helpful. Um, and uh, it, yes, we're uh, we're in the process of we've finished all. 20 of our modules in the self-instructional program, we're, we're now going back and catching some areas. We had a, uh, a, a time we wanted to have that done, so we finished it, and now we're going back and doing regulatory speech. So it was perfect timing when I, we were working on it, and I had the thought that said, hey, let's call in the program and have Michael do a review on regulatory speech. So it was very helpful. Um, and then we were able to just slip right in. I just love that with the, uh, you know, being guided and inspired by love. It's almost always um, when I am really being inspired by love, and that's a trick sometimes to determine when that is, um, I, uh, I find that everything just clicks right along. So there's, yeah, there's kind no of an almost example always. what happens. Yes, it is always. <laughs> oh, but no almost always when you're in that one. <laughs> Right, and the almost is whether or not I'm actually aligned with love. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, there's the almost. So that was what I was That's referring the key to. That's it all. Would, yeah. Yep. Would you also um, reference how we establish regulatory speech? That would be awesome. Well, you know, I, I think we. it's a pretty broad topic again, but when you think the newborn, if I say the word toe, there's going to be a micro movement in the child's body. If I say the word head, if I say the word yes, no, tomorrow, next week, all of those are going to create micro movements. Then obviously the frequency patterns of speech at some level are stored within the cellular structure of the newborn. Hmm. And my offering is that, you know, if you look at Yeshua, the geneticist, you know, in the scriptures, they tell us that, the energies that are off the mark, they were called sins, are stored on a cellular level for at least four generations. And, of course, when you start realizing that the fourth generation back got their patterns, their word patterns, their thought patterns, their behavior patterns from the previous four generations who got it from the previous four who got it from literally my offering is that stored within our genes is our whole genetic history and everything that's happened in the whole family bloodline. And so speech is stored there. Behavior is stored there. Attitudes are stored there. Perceptions are stored there. We come into the world and depending on the way we come in, as your wife so aptly knows as a doula, and the space she creates for children coming in, a foundation is set for life. There are certain frequencies that are going to be in motion that will tend to create a mindset until one becomes conscious of it and aware and able to change their mindset. That will tend to govern their whole lives. And I use the example of, you know, people say, well, if it's all stored in your genes and it's all there, how come... Uh, we have these twins and their lives are totally different. Shouldn't they be the same? Well, no, not really. Let's think about it. If each of these twins in utero has their whole family history stored, 
let's go through the birth process. Mom and dad have the house all ready for the new baby. The, the baby's room is beautiful. It's set. And, man, they are so excited about this new baby coming. And they go off to have the delivery take place. And the doctor, as the first child is coming into the world and, and mom's excited, the dad's excited, the doctor's just so such a cool space with mom and dad and how awesome is this. And, and that child comes in and what resonates out of that child's genes, but boy, I'm sure welcome here. You know, they've taken uh, adults and put them into a somnambulistic state of hypnosis and taken them back to their birth. They can tell you the, the, mental and emotional state of everybody in the room. They can tell you who was in the room. They can even tell you what mom's hairdo was. So as a set for life and the child in the first hour will learn more than it will learn in any other hour of its life, that child knows that it's a warm, welcoming, and this is going to be a fun ride world. So that's child number one. As the child is delivered into all this excitement and welcoming warm energy, the doctor all of a sudden detects a second heartbeat that he had missed. And he's already paying thousands of dollars a month for liability insurance, and all of a sudden he's in terror because there's likely to be a lawsuit over the fact that he didn't detect that there's a second child. So now there's terror in the room. He turns to dad and says, Dad, I have good news for you. You're going to have a second child here. And Dad, who's excited about being a dad, says, What? A second mouth to feed? Do you know that it costs $100,000 to raise a child? I don't, we don't have the income. We don't have, the, we don't have two rooms. We don't have a big enough house. How, how? And all of a sudden, Dad's in fear. And so this child's coming into a space where its parent, one of its parents is in fear, and mom overhears the conversation. She's conscious during the birth, and, and she's like, well, I was going to breastfeed, and I've heard it's really intense, and I'm going to have to breastfeed two babies? Oh, my God, I, I, I don't know how I could do this. I, can't, I couldn't, I can't. And so what's the, what's the resonant energy that comes out of the genes of the second child as its mindset for life? Whoa, people don't want me. People around me live in terror. I frighten people. And those two lives are going to be so distinctly different, especially for that second child, until that second child finds a way to understand there's a mindset called Rachma that can reset the whole system. And there are tools with which to remove all of the conclusions that that child came to just from that first hour. And how life unfolds and how things move forward. And so the, the speech in the room created certain behaviors, attitudes, and thoughts in everybody in the room. Those behaviors, those attitudes, those thoughts, those words reflected and resonated things out of the genes of the child and words are going to move energetic patterns in each of those children all of their lives. But the child who comes in with Rachma, with love set, is going to perceive everything in its whole life. Every word that's ever spoken to it is going to tend to be perceived through Rachma, through love. 
and perceived from a place of empowerment. The other child, because rejection and fear is what came up for him, will tend to perceive through fear. And that means that virtually everything he experiences is going to be threatening. Well, gee, my father's in fear and he doesn't want me. The doctor is terrified. I don't understand what that's about. And mom's scared as hell. Oh, my God, what's wrong with me? And so the tendency will be, as long as that's the active filter in that child, that everything will be perceived as threatening. And so the whole speech system develops, and those two kids are going totally and completely different paths. You know, we've all heard the story about the reporter that goes to the small town to interview the, you know, the, uh, the, the most powerful, the richest man in town. And the powerful rich man in town, as he sits and visits with him, he asks, well, you know, how did you, how did you get to be here? He said, well, you know, when I was a kid, my father was a mean drunk. And, you know, what else could I do but do something different? And so he leaves and he finds out that this young man has a brother. And so he goes to look up the brother who's the town drunk. And he says to the town drunk, well, how did you get to be here? Well, what happened? He said, well, you know, when I was a kid, my father was a mean drunk. What else could I do but become the same? And so the speech system is, and the filters that speech is heard through, is processed through, the perceptions that come hand in hand with it are different depending on which filters are set. And all of life is going to be determined until one wakes up and realizes that with forgiveness, we can be free of all antecedent conditions. The average life is lived totally and completely bound to antecedent conditions, run by it, determined by it. But when we wake up and we have the tool to remove those frequencies of the past, then the, the individual now has conscious creative control over their lives free of antecedent conditions. Is that getting to where you wanted to go, Rex? It, every every word is helpful. <laughs> cool. Reestablishing reestablishing vocabulary, and as you're speaking it out loud, I am repeating it in my mind silently, and developing a stronger regulatory speech system. <laughs> Yay! And so that's kind of the part that I was, um, you know, anticipating you would also cover. But I know we're short on time, and you were, you were. Um, that was a great um, approach to using twins and being born. I've heard you do something similar before, but that was excellent. And I, I do appreciate it. It's very helpful. Cool. Fabulous. Well, Fantastic. glad to be on the team. Well, and thank you. I, I appreciate you uh, taking my call so spontaneously as well. It's, it's great. And there's still a few minutes left, and maybe the the person who was on the call um, called back in. Well, let's check in and see if with us. All thank right. you. Take care. Blessings. So 828, are you still with us? Are you back? Eight to eight, you're live on the air. Oh, I guess not. Yeah, okay, well, we'll try again. On the board. Um, 
All right, we're down to the last couple of minutes then, and I'm just going to share that, uh, you know, if you're ready, uh, Ginny was sharing with me this morning that some folks have signed up for the uh, Healing the Whole Woman workshop that she's going to do up in uh, Wilmington, uh, Michigan. Is it Wilmington? No. Williamston. What's Williamston, Williamson. Williamson, Michigan, just outside of Lansing. So September 25th, am 15th. I remembering correctly? 15th, September 15th. So the weekend 15th. of September 15th, if, uh, right. if the ladies are ready, there's uh, there's still spaces available in that workshop. And, of course, uh, we'll be starting in about a week, uh, actually 12 days, I guess, to uh, – Step into why is this happening to me again? A nine-day intensive, a three-day training on the personal code evaluation, and a 16-day laws of living. So we're kind of rocking along here. Everything is moving forward. Ari is on the road, and he's uh, probably going to get in here about six o'clock tonight. So we'll hold the space for him. And by the way, just one other uh, piece of the puzzle that uh, that I'd like to put in that I actually meant to start the show out with, but. Uh, we kind of got right into it, and, and I didn't um, didn't get there. But um, there's some dear friends in Florida, and uh, a woman named Martha Johnson and her daughter Elizabeth, and uh, their son today was uh, was or yes, I guess two days ago, pardon me, was uh, killed in a car wreck. And so uh, we'd just like to to hold a space if everybody just tap into that active presence of love and hold a space for John. And uh, that he is supported in his journey moving forward to the next level of what his eternal life is about. And that mom and his sister and the whole family are just held in a space of love and caring and nurturing to process through the pain of loss that they're experiencing. And anyone else who's experienced the loss that we hold the space of the pure presence of love that heals and moves all energies that do not belong within this human system. And we'll just hold a space of silence for a moment on that. And express our appreciation for everyone who joins us every day that you do at the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radios with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org.